This episode may contain swearing. Advertencia de lengua. From the kitchen table, this is Gatecrow's Panic. This week is Annie Duff, owner of Eco Clothing and Lifestyle label Good Studios and one part of Ensemble Studio, a collective of like-minded women with small businesses based on Gilly Street in Adelaide. I spoke to Annie just before Christmas in her very full stockroom where we had some privacy and quiet from the bustle of the studio. Because I visit women in their homes and workplaces, sound can be a little challenging and towards the end of the episode you will hear a little of how busy the studio is. I've known Annie since I was at school. She's the older sister of a friend, and from a family of women I always observe to be both ambitious and warm. Annie has achieved a great deal for someone so young, and has done so by fostering long-lasting, nourishing relationships. I was recently listening to a conversation between a group of women who were discussing their feeling that women are prone to unhealthy competitiveness and nastiness in the workplace perhaps due to the feeling that places for them are increasingly limited as they progress in their career. I think stories like the one that Annie tells in this episode, of a career built on supportive relationships and successful business owned by a collective of women, functions as a sort of antidote to that feeling. I also think before we start, it's really important to acknowledge how pervasive and problematic nepotism is, particularly in a small city, but that the kind of who you know relationship building that Annie is talking about is more about building a community of mutual support and shared knowledge than it is the monopolization of opportunity by a select group. As ever, I'll be back at the bottom of the episode with some housekeeping, but until then, enjoy. Uh, My name is Annie Duff and I'm the creative director of Good Studio. Beautiful. See, that's perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so I've been doing this in sort of a... um, a linear way in terms of talking about your career and mm-hmm. you just do whatever feels natural mm. but maybe starting with whatever period feels relevant to you when did you um when did you first take an interest in a particular field of work yep. whether it's when you're a teenager or yeah okay um so that's a really good question because I have this really vivid memory when I was about 14 mm. um my family had had quite a bit of upheaval. My dad had left and uh, we sold our family farm and moved down to Bolwanga, which was sort of our family's spiritual home. And I think in that moment, or in, during that time, I was sort of aware of how sort of transient life is and how much things will just always change and living in sort of my 15th or 16th house in my lifetime. And um, I had this really distinctive moment of lying on on my new single bed in a room that I shared with three other sisters and just thought like what's what's my future going to look like like once I leave the family nest 
what does my everyday look like? And I just remember for the first time having this really conscious thought about what that would look like. Mm. And I just had this vision in my head of, it was kind of like, it was sort of objects and pieces thoughtfully sort of placed and somehow capturing them. And it's this really bizarre concept, but it sort of informed the first steps I took in my career, which were as a um, camera assistant and cinematographer in mm. film and television. Mm. Um, and in my head, I had this image of capturing objects and sort of visual symmetry and aesthetics placed. Mm. And that's what I sort of followed down the path of. And then... I guess sort of three or four years into that, I guess sort of an informal apprenticeship as a camera assistant and doing my own um, cinematography and directing and producing, I kind of realised that I'd sort of been thinking about it the wrong way and that what I was really passionate about was sort of the objects placed and the aesthetics and not so much capturing it, Mm -hmm. which is actually just quite technical and actually not very creative um, because quite often you're being directed by someone else and those decisions are being made by art department and by the director. So it was quite a long time that that it took me to sort of get there, but it was this epiphany when I did. I think I was in my about sort of 22 or something. Yeah. And it was this incredible moment, but this sort of fear that kind of came after of, what have I been doing this whole time? Have I, like, you know, wasted the last four years learning how to um, be, in a cam- be a camera assistant? Um, and then I realised the more that I sort of altered my path, that how well in, and sort of uniquely informed I was because of my background in photography. And yeah. um, rather than spending days and days filling a room um, from corner to corner with, um, you know, set pieces for a shoot, I would ask where the camera was pointing and I would spend, you know, half an hour just making that part look really good. And mm-hmm. so I ended up being quite a useful sort of, I guess I straddled both worlds. And um, as the industry changed, um, roles like that were more sought after because budgets were getting less and... Mm-hmm there was that a huge demand for sort of more of a guerrilla team that can sort of do a lot of different things and um, that's how I moved into doing both production design and costume design. Mm -hmm. And um, through that process um, I learnt a lot about waste in the film industry and um, the more that I worked, especially in TV commercials, which are sort of very quick projects and they don't care what you do with the products once you've shot them and then just say, get rid of them. And so I was starting to sort of accumulate this guilty pile of things that I'd bought for shoots and couldn't bring myself to throw away and had to sort of stop and take stock of the way that I was contributing and if I could do it better um, and if I could do it more consciously and if I could share that, that approach sort of more on a sort of broader scale um, with, you know, the industry and with my friends in the industry and the people that I quite often worked with. Um, and that's sort, of, that's sort of how 
I started to sort of quietly form the idea for Good Studios, um, just around being more conscious and be more thoughtful about what I was bringing into the world, something I could be precious about and something I could be proud of mm. that was my own as well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so before we kind of race into the present, um, how was – did you go straight out of high school into that would would-be apprenticeship? Yeah. 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 So um, I went to a Steiner school um, and in year 12 – uh, or your final year of schooling, um, they do what's called a Year 12 project. And essentially it's take an idea or a concept or um, a career path that you're interested in and in your own way explore that. Um, and then at the end of the year present what you've learnt, um, whether it be, you know, a completed um, sort of project. For example, someone build a boat or someone learn. Um, a new language, um, someone, uh, a lot of art, you know, exploration of particular art forms and practices. And then um, for my particular project, I did filmmaking um, and I did, I produced, directed, filmed, I think three music videos and then I also um, helped on the clay animation as well which was fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, and at the end of that year, I presented a thesis and um, as part of, like, my final hand-up, I um, also entered a couple of the films into um, an ACS, um, which is Australian Cinematographer Society Awards for that year. Mm. Um, and uh, I received um, what's... It's called the Milton Ingerson Encouragement Award for being a promising young filmmaker. It's a very long, <laughs> but obviously I memorised it at the time because I was pretty chuffed. Yes. Um, but um, on the night I met um, uh, Nick Matthews, who is um, quite a prolific cinematographer. I'm not sure where he is in the world at the moment, but... Um, we got along really well, um, very similar temperament, just sort of considered um, and dry, humid, and we sort of forged this bond very quickly and he offered me the opportunity just to sort of come on his films as kind of like in an attachment sort of way and just learn as much as I could um, to decide if that's what I wanted. And I was considering at the time going to study um, but because of the opportunity to work with him and the conversations that I had with him around, I guess, how you grow in the industry, and it's a very, like, um, a, a lot of the problems with the film industry um, is that people sort of come out of study and they have this kind of pie-in-the-sky um, sort of belief that they're already sort of an established director because mm. their films that they've done in, in, in uni and yeah. that sort of thing and um, there's this sort of pretty um, uh, there's still quite a sort of old school hierarchy with um, in the industry mm. and 
in some ways I respected it and in other ways it's very outdated but when you first start out in it you sort of have to earn your way and so for my first ever job I plugged in batteries pretty much for six weeks and you know cleaned the slate and wrote the next like take on it and gave it back to the camera assistant starting really yeah starting really low and I loved it you know making coffees and running like rolling up PNC cables and um you know I was just I loved it and I made a lot of like lifelong friends by just being that enthusiastic kid Mm. that was happily happy to do it because apparently it had become rarer and rarer that sort of acknowledgement of that you work your way up and Mm. you have to earn your stripes Mm. so to speak um so um I realized pretty soon into um working outside of school in that way that I probably wasn't ever going to go back to study it yeah and as soon as I kind of made that decision um I I kind of fell into it for a while but then work would dry up and I become very frustrated and nervous about whether I'd made the right decision and the fact that I wasn't studying meant that I wasn't working towards anything and then in between jobs I was working in retail and working in a body shop um, which as far as companies go um, helped me to instill um, a lot of values that I now have in my company mm-hmm. um, but you know it's, at the end of the day it's still retail yeah. and someone else's company or baby and mm. Um, and it wasn't sort of what I was passionate about. Mm. Um, and so I went back to art school. Uh, well, I went to art school for a year, I think in what was that, 2009. So I was, I think I was 20. Yeah. yeah. And that was an incredible year because I was still able to sort of step off and do my filmmaking. Mm. But just getting my hands really practical again um, and exploring concepts um, from like an idea to a finished product. And even though I was working, you know, with clay and painting and drawing and um, a little bit of animation and online stuff, it was sort of more about um, the process, sort of kind of refining the tools that I already had Mm -hmm. of concept to realization of a product um that had an aesthetic value yeah where did you go i went to the uh la school of art yeah 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 so they had what was then called a um, bachelor of visual arts and applied design Mm -hmm. and i did one year and then i dropped out (laughs) and not for lack of loving it it was um that film started picking up again and um I made the decision to to jump into that full time um I had been offered the role of production designer on a feature film which was a pretty big deal yeah (laughs) but it wasn't actually for another couple of years that we made the film but in that time uh we didn't make the film until 2012 so it was another couple of years but in that time we were sort of building the concept for it and I went all the way from concept to pitching for financing to so I saw that whole process yeah um I think in a lot of ways um that feature film uh 
destroyed my um, kind of belief that I wanted to be a career production designer because mm-hmm. it was so rewarding on so many levels but um, at the end of the film a lot of my really close friends weren't speaking to each other um, that have worked on the film mm. and uh, I think I don't like 30 cents an hour for the time that I put in um, and a lot of my wages were deferred and I never received them so it was um, one of the hardest things I've ever done um, for the least financial reward yeah. <laughs> but it was incredibly important to do to realise sort of um, where my passion was mm-hmm. and I you know, in that film to have complete creative control over the look and aesthetic of something um, was, yeah, such such a sort of edifying feeling mm. that that idea that I'd had as a 14-year-old to the shift that I made as a 20-something-year-old to finally realising, you know, I guess the pinnacle of film industry work which is a feature film and you know so at the age of 23 I'd done all of that yeah and gone okay right <laughs> maybe it's time to top, stop and yeah. take stock for yeah. a minute and just sort of figure out where on that road I was most happy yeah. were most of your peers by that stage working in the same industry as you um my peers to yeah me. well like most of your friends I suppose because yeah. I'm just listening to what you're saying and thinking most people aren't having an experience even close to that in mm-hmm. their late teens and early 20s and that must have been I mean a remarkable experience if nothing else to mm. be having such a radically different yeah I think um one of the things that the film industry does is it's sort of like what we call there's a lot of in-jokes, but we call it sort of school camp mode. It's like when you're on a project, sort of the reality is sort of somewhere else and, you know, you don't read newspapers for weeks if you don't know what's happening in the world and everything becomes quite insular mm. and, um, you know, through that process you sort of lose perspective a bit. So I would sort of resurface from a project and look around at my friends that I'd had for a long time that weren't in the industry and realised how different my life was to theirs. But when you're in the industry and you're surrounded by people that have also made that career choice, it just normalises it. Yeah, okay. Um, And even though I was a lot younger than everyone I was working with, I think they never treated me that way. So Mm -hmm. I sort of had... um, I guess not a false perception of, of, you know, what I was doing for my age, but just it didn't sort of come up all the time or I didn't kind of, it didn't register that what I was doing was that sort of, um, I guess, yeah, strange for, for how young I was. Yeah. And I guess I sort of manifested a lot of kind of adult things in my life quite early, like I was in very serious relationship from quite a young age and I bought a house when I was very young as well um and so all of those things kind of just accumulated to these are the decisions that I'm making at this time in my life 
and I guess because my partner was a bit older as well, it was sort of like I'm just adulting but younger. Yeah. yeah. Which yeah. is, and then suddenly you wake up like a few years later and you're like, what? What just happened? Yeah. Where did my 20s go? Yeah. <laughs> um, um, in terms of, I feel like it's important to touch on the things that have been hurdles for you, but also the things that have given you a bit of a leg up along yeah. the way to, to where yeah, you are now. So yeah. not just in that period, but kind of at any point that you think mm. is relevant. Mm. Is there anything that you think is, you know, salient? Um, yeah. I guess one of the recurring experiences I've had is a feeling of kind of interpreting the environment around you with a really kind of keen sense of um, sort of what's appropriate and what's um, just learning from the people around you. And I've always been a little sponge like that. Yeah. So in an environment, you know, if I was in the film industry, I would you know, my first day on set, no one knows each other sometimes and you're sort of very quickly having to be in this quite forced situation where you're very reliant on each other for um, support to achieve or solve a problem. Um, and so the tools that I've developed, I guess, through so many of those processes mm. is um, a real respect for, like, building of rapport mm-hmm and um, creating sort of memorable moments with people Mm -hmm. that are mutually kind of, um, I guess, intriguing or um, something that means that you want to to help them or have an ongoing professional relationship with them. And I think in my career I've found that keeping those keeping relationships as healthy as possible and nurturing those and um, have has got me so much further um, than what I expected. And I think, I mean, it's, a, it's quite a general thing to say, but I'm, I'm such a firm believer of the maintenance and, like, long-term sustainability of good relationships yeah. because a career – like your career is all about who you know, um, how you can build something with the support and sort of consistency of like stakeholders yeah. in in what you're doing. Yeah. And the longer that I've sort of had a business especially, the more I've realised the importance of that and the more I sort of acknowledge how very early on I value of that yeah um but in terms of specific leg ups I mean there's been the some really poignant moments I guess like um you're taking some big financial risks like um in 2015 I uh, took my collection to Paris and maxed out my credit card (laughs) and it was one of the most scary few months of my life yeah. well it really just was like I 
there was a lot going on for me personally as well and um but I just had I don't know it was like this blind faith underneath like all the severe anxiety <laughs> that I was experiencing mm. that something was going to come from it um and over there I met um an incredible company um that is a distributor of Birkenstock in Japan and they just happened to be at a point in their um, company where they wanted to take on more sustainable brands um, and build what they call these lifestyle stores in Japan. Um, and so I started talking to them. I had learnt Japanese at school, so I tried some of my uh, very rusty Japanese on them. And that was creating a moment of intrigue for them because they'd come to France, they hadn't seen or spoken to anyone that even attempted to talk to them in Japanese and it stayed with them and um, that was the only thing that came out of that horrifying um, experience was that they contacted me a couple of months later and invited me to Japan to talk to them about distributing my product over there and um, when I went over I brought gifts from uh, Australia which is the custom Mm. Um, and just rather than having to read up on all of that, it was something that I had an incredible Japanese teacher and she taught us not the values of like having a business in Japan, but just like the customs yeah. and how to um, be really respectful. And I mean, everyone that works in that company is quite young, but they loved that I have this sort of um, old fashioned <laughs> respect for yeah. Japanese culture. Mm. and. It's why we've forged this incredible relationship. They've yeah. put so much faith in me um, without much to stand on prior. Yeah. Um, and I still wonder to this day why, and I think it's to do with the fact that, um, you know, I, yes, I have a great product, but also I'm trying to forge a relationship that's beyond that mm. um, and, you know, outside of season to season it's um building something that's long lasting and and that rings true for them and their culture and the way they do business Mm. um yeah talk to me a little bit about sort of conceiving of and starting good studios um i have been asked this a few times and i i mean the, the the story i sort of tell is um coming from film industry seeing a lot of waste, my upbringing, going to a Steiner school um, and being raised with um, sort of environmental philosophies at the forefront of of everything that that the school and and my family was about. We grew up on an organic farm and um, my parents built and ground up using recycled materials from the dump and um, like demolitions and getting scraps from friends and um, so it was like this sort of Harry Potter-esque kind of rambling house. Um, so I've told that story a few times and I think it's still the truest one, but I guess there's also um, this idea of it's not so much a legacy. I think more about um, when you get to an age and you sort of realise how much is wrong with the world um you start to think about ways that you can contribute uh to improving that 
and that's what gets me out of bed every day because it's really it is an incredibly hard thing to do to to, like the fashion industry in itself is incredibly competitive um and then you're sort of trying to crack open an industry that's shrouded in secrecy no one wants to give away their contacts and no one wants to be transparent um so you're sort of doing it's almost like going backwards on an escalator or something like you're getting somewhere but you're working twice as hard all the time yeah and that's the feeling that I have with it. But I also couldn't do it any other way. And I'm so passionate about it that I'm not ever going to give it up anytime soon. Yeah. Um, my dream is to sort of build it to a point where it's not about me and this brand anymore. It's actually about um, a larger concept and that it's a platform for um, many people that are passionate about um guess the values of this company and that they can use it to extend what drives them Mm -hmm. in some way and the last sort of year I feel like I'm getting to a point where that's been more realized like Mm -hmm. having ensemble and having three other businesses all young women all um, incredibly close friends that are able to um, use the space that we share as a platform um, for their values and, and their businesses and um, but also as a collaborative whole we kind of our voices are much stronger and our message is much clearer mm. um, so maybe in its early days it was quite a humble kind of concept of wanting to create like a simple aesthetic sustainable product that I could use in films that I could be proud to share um, but as I guess the concept grew and as I learnt more about the industry, um, it's sort of the passion sort of grew beyond design and beyond sort of, you know, that minimalist aesthetic approach, um, letting the garments speak for themselves to like a belief that I had a responsibility perhaps to um, educate, um, try and keep an industry that's um, sort of flailing a local industry that's flailing alive yeah. um, and uh, try and have a really clear um, message that you can do it the right way and, yes, it's going to be harder but there is a market for it yeah. and it's the right way to do it. Yeah. Mm. Um, it sounds like this is a lot of your life. It's a lot of your time. What is, I mean, having a business like this, what kind of lifestyle does that kind of equal for you? (laughs) Um, I guess you're asking that question at quite a um, sort of strange time in my year where um, I really don't have a life outside of the business. Um, Christmas time is very hectic. Um, That retail cycle, um, even for sustainable brands it's the same yeah um so these past couple of months have been incredibly draining um but also it's a time when there's this sort of big financial nod that you're sort of there is a a product that's desirable so you know that we've got funds coming in which feels incredible just not to be as terrified about money all the time yeah 
but the workload, I mean, I still pick and pack every order that's going out. And I mean, I have, um, when things get really busy, the other girls step in and are incredibly helpful, um, which I just, I can't even fathom what I would do without them. Mm. But um, there's just a lot on all the time. It's very hard to switch off. Um, but when I do switch off, I have this incredible feeling of almost like, you know, when you stand in a door and push really hard on it and then you step out and your arms sort of like just fly into yes. the air. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of what it feels like when I do finally switch off. It's sort of you feel extra light. Mm. Um, and there's, it's, it's never – it's a forced switch off. There's always things that can be done. Um, but this time of year, I guess um, customers, stockists – manufacturers are all more understanding of the need to kind of not check your emails every 30 seconds um so you sort of get that um that feeling of being able to step away and that you're not sort of keeping someone waiting Mm. um but sort of most of the time I guess I mean I quite often joke that I'm like the world's worst boss because I never give myself a day off and I um, but in my head, it's always working towards um, a time where I can have more time off. And it's a funny thing to say, and I know that, you know, you've got 50-year-old, 60-year-old CEOs that are still saying that, that they're working towards, you know, retirement or and they've just been working their butts off that whole time. But there's some incredible women in, in the industry. Um, in the U.S., for example, um, Jessie Cam who has her own brand. I think she's been going for about uh, 10 or so years now, 12 years. Um, And she just structures her. She's a mother. Her husband works in the company with her. She structures her year where she'll work for nine months, like pretty solidly. Um, And then she takes three months off and goes to her house in like Panama they built in a rainforest Mm. and you know she'll put up a post every now and then of like a coconut for breakfast but she's certainly not picking packing orders yeah and um people love that about her they love that she does that she just surfs every day and reads books and um no one's going oh my god you're such an irresponsible business owner like you're you know your business just must flounder when you go away for three months yeah but at some point and, you know, I've been going now for four years, so maybe I've got six more years to get this right. <laughs> but um, I would love for that to be um, not exactly what she does, but sort of being able to structure your entire business around sort of um, really well-programmed times out. Yeah. Because it was never my intention to be a fashion designer. You know, I've fallen into this role. Um, and a business owner, and I'm incredibly passionate about it. Um, I love learning all parts of running the business, from the like boring Excel spreadsheets to the picking out of, you know, fabrics in, um, you know, big, um, you know, warehouses full of dead stock, and mm. I love all of it. But I also know that it's not meant for one person to do. Mm-hmm. Like it, all those roles in in a you know, a long-term sustainable business are run by different people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, 
is there anything that I haven't asked you that you think is important about your story? Um, I don't know. Just trying to think. Yeah, I guess. Um, at the moment, I'm thinking a lot about the future, mm. um, and what what that looks like. You know, whether there's always that question of when you start to expand and get to a point where you need to take on um, employees, um, where it's what I call the ugly teenager phase, where you're sort of um, not you're not quite grown into your limbs <laughs> you're yeah. sort of a bit of, of a bit of bit wonky looking um so that's what I feel like I've been for the past couple of um, couple of years of just trying to um you know the nature of business is to always expand and always double in size and always sort of have growth and always have high returns and um I guess I'm asking that question to myself is Given that I've never followed a template, why do I have such a strong feeling that I need to um, follow that structure um, in the way that I structure my business? So I'm thinking about, um, you know, what what the future looks like in terms of how I structure the business and how I um, deliver the best possible message that I can. Um, with the tools that I have, how I can make the platform that I want other people to launch, what they want to do from as sort of strong and founded as possible. Mm. Um, and so I think about, um, you know, whether I take more risks and, you know, expand this space and allow for more kind of um, people to come on board or is it trying to kind of, spend some time, um, I guess, uh, reconciling where I am now because it's that sort of, you know, you're sort of growing organically and sometimes there's sort of growth spurts where, like, for example, with Japan, um, I said yes to being distributed there like far earlier than I knew if I could or not. <laughs> so it was that sort of faking it till you make yeah. it. Yeah, um, And then there has to come a time where you look back on that process and go, what worked, what didn't, rather than sort of going, okay, I've somehow managed to make that work. Surely now I can do that in the US and the UK and yeah. um, surely that template will now work anywhere. But for me, it's I feel like I have kind of the opposite feeling of kind of going, um, okay, we've sort of managed to pull, pull this out of somewhere. Um, so let's let's go over it with a fine tooth comb and make it really efficient and maybe that means that we don't grow for a little while mm. you know maybe that means that we just kind of not stagnate but um just don't take on any more risks while we sort of make sure that whatever structure we go into the next phase with is something that doesn't have any booby traps in it yeah um and i mean i could have I guess maybe they teach that in business school. I don't know if they do, but it's kind of been so instinctual for me this entire process. Like I've not studied running a business aside from doing a very simple niece business course for filmmaking when I was 18. (laughs) So, yeah, it's, I mean, when you're talking about 
your career on a whole, you sort of think about this huge expanse of time where you become older, wiser, more mature, more understanding of how the world's structured, how industries are structured. You know, at some point you may be working for someone and at others you may be a leader. And in all of those times, I guess you're trying to hover above it and trying to be objective about what you're actually taking away from each experience Mm. to serve you over the course of your career at large. Um, But when you're so entrenched in in your own business, I think those lessons are sort of, they feel like little fish swimming away all the time that you're trying to grab at. And you're like, oh, I should spend more time thinking about why that went wrong or if I could have done that better. But uh, here's this huge list of things that I need to get on with. And um, I would love to say that I take leaves out of my own books. But I think that's probably where I kind of want to take my career next. It's not so much about, like, how big can I go in the next few years. It's about how can I reconcile, um, you know, a huge amount of growth over a very short amount of time and finding myself in a position that, you know, that kid lying on the bed at 14 didn't see herself. I wasn't Mm. going, I want to be a fashion designer. I want to have an eco-clothing label. It was this objects and placement and aesthetics and Mm. you know how do I find her again and um, simplify what I'm doing in order to truly follow that path if that's really what I want or have I really taken that idea and sort of manifested it into something that's more more of a career Mm. and not so much a a sort of bizarre concept (laughs) so yeah I think um there's, um, there's so much to learn um, always and there's so many questions that you should always be asking. But I think um, in our society we're not really given the tools or taught the importance of moments of quiet, moments of sort of taking stock of what you've already achieved, um, if it's for you or for some other company or someone else. Um, and acknowledging that role because all of it comes from you you may have studied it but um, all of those decisions and all of those outcomes have come as a manifestation and extension of you Mm. and I don't think our society teaches us to pat ourselves on the back and say you've done really well it's always like oh my god how old are you should you have done that younger like where did you think you would be at this age Mm. like you know, so um, I really love the idea that um, in the next while that perhaps I could I could sort of start to learn those tools and start to honour them a little bit more in the way that I run my business every day. As usual, I'll link to Good Studios and Ensemble and Annie and everything on our social posts. If you have any questions for Annie or for the podcast, or if you know somebody you'd like to hear interviewed, reach it out to us on Facebook or Instagram. And of course, like and follow us in all the right places. I've been Taryn Bell. This has been Gate Close Panic. We'll see you next week. <laughs>